You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. I want to talk about what it takes to be a church this morning outside of warm bodies or cold bodies, whichever you might be today in a room. What does it take for a church to be a church? Historically, there are a couple of core values the church has always been required to have or to be or to do, actions, if you will, that have been necessary to identify us as the people of God, to identify the church as God's people. And two of those indelible markers are that we would gather together and that we would go. Those are two indelible markers of the people of God since creation in Genesis, that God's people would gather under the name of Jesus Christ and that they would go in the power of that same name. That we would gather and worship as we were doing this morning, worship through song and worship through fellowship and worship through the word as we're doing in this moment. That we would gather. We are a people that gathers, but we're not just a people that gathers. We are a people that go. And without the going, the gathering is pointless. But when you go, there must be a place for the people called by his name to gather. So it goes hand in hand. We're starting a series today called Gathered to Go. We're going to be talking about evangelism and discipleship, things and words that when we hear them, oftentimes our minds go a lot of places except for the ones that they should go, and that's trusting God to do in us what he's called us to do. So with that being said, as we start this series today, I, I love the fact that we've had a, an amazing time in our eight-week series. Pastor Robert and I were in the car late last night driving back from Orlando, Florida, and he was talking about reading some of the surveys from the Connect groups and just the wonderful things that people had to say about emotionally healthy spirituality and what God was doing in your lives And now I want to say, listen, we could be the most emotionally healthy spiritual people in the world, but if we're not willing to export what God has put inside of us, then we're only a gathering church and we're supposed to be a going church. Robert and I had been going this week. Uh, Just so you know, there's not a lot of activity out here on Washington Road at 145 in the morning. And that's about the time that I drove by the church, headed to my house. So Robert dropped me off and then went to his house. So he got in bed probably a little bit later than I did. But we were in St. Thomas this past week, and I I just want to briefly say that God is doing some amazing things throughout the world. I got to see what God is doing for his name and the fame of Jesus' name in the U.S. Virgin Islands and and St. Thomas and St. John and St. Croix and St. Kitts and even the British Virgin Islands. As we were out there ministering to students on the campus and ministering to people made in the image of God, and there's the, the oldest guy on the trip, he was me. Me, I was like, this is awesome. I'm the oldest guy on the trip. This is amazing. 
And yet God was still doing something in us and through us. And, and Carla and Josiah are still there. And we're partnering with our Every Nation Church in Orlando, Florida, as well as our Every Nation Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. Can you just wrap your mind around what God does with his people when he's got people, uh, pastors and ministers from Johannesburg, South Africa. He's got pastors and ministers from Evans, Georgia. He's got pastors and, and church members from Orlando, Florida, meeting together with the church that is, is being birthed in St. Thomas Islands. Now, the, the history of all of that from Africa to the islands to, to the United States and all of that encounters and all the tragedy and the trauma that surrounds it, and yet God is taking us as a church and he's doing a redemptive work with the same nations in the same places. That's the power of the gospel. And man, I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. So, we were just going to be a part of that, to see what God was doing so that we could continue to partner with our churches there. And uh, man, I am, it is amazing to see what some of these young people are doing on the campus ministry that is now having its second kind of preview service this morning that uh, we're all getting to be a part of down there and, and doing together. But it started on the campus um, and just powerful because somebody, in this case, a young girl named Chelsea, was willing to go and begin to live down there as a 20-year-old girl and say, I'm ready to go to the campus. And now God's exploding something on the University of Virgin Islands. And I have to share that because it's a part of the great commission that we've been called to fulfill. And that means because we're going that we're going. And you might actually go. I don't know, you might actually go and stay. I have no idea, but I do know God's called us to go. We are a people that gathers to be a people that goes. So here's the problem. Often when we talk about making disciples or evangelism, we get some odd images in our minds that don't include us. You ever have an image of something and you're not in it? Like, oh, let's talk about evangelism. And I think about evangelism, I think about Jesus and sandals and dirt and disciples and old times, but I'm not in that image. And isn't that how we oftentimes think about evangelism and discipleship? These odd images come to our mind and we're not in them. Oh, that's for them. That was for them. That was for them. That was for him. That was for her. But I'm not in it. I can't see myself, I'm saying this, I can't see myself doing that. But we must not only see ourselves doing that, knowing who Christ is, but also making him known, doing what Christ has commissioned us as his church to do. Generous, cheerful, giving, loving, kind people exporting the gospel to the nations. So today, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to a very familiar chapter in a very familiar passage, but one that we've read so often, as I, I say, stated a moment ago, that we don't often see ourselves in this passage of Scripture, and yet it is what makes us intrinsically Christian. So it's Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. It's known as the Great Commission. Before we read that this morning, I'll echo what Pastor Keevan said a moment ago as we were on the, the islands this week in the U.S. Virgin Islands and learning a lot of the history and, and just thinking about uh, talking to the people and, and what, uh, what the situation they're in and, and how they view certain things, how they view the mainland. So just, to, you know, you don't ever go, well, hey, back in the States, they are like, you don't say that to them. <laughs> that is the States. 
we're the states over here, but they're a, they're a territory, and so it's back on the mainland. And just to be able to hear and hear from them and just thank God for what he's doing. But I also want to echo that because of what God is doing in us, not just as the church, but the freedoms that we have as a nation, being a town and a city that has its own military base. And I actually met a kid while we were at a discipleship group who was stationed at Fort Gordon just a few years ago. Said it was the worst time of his life. So I was like, well, man, I'm sorry. Uh, but he said, yeah, I never could. I just had to stay there the whole time. I never got off base. And so I said, well, I hope Hopefully you'll come back and we'll find a way to get you off that base so that you can have something more to think about Augusta than just Fort Gordon itself. Um, but I also want to echo and say thank you to all of those veterans who served and then all of you veterans who are currently serving in all the different branches and we have all of them come through here. Uh, such a rich history of that in, in this church. So thank you. Uh, again, Matthew 28. A lifestyle we believe every member of Jesus' family and in Focus Church should include, this is one of the things we always say, this serving, giving, going, and growing. Serving, Pastor Keevan talked about giving. If this is your home, then that should, you should be participating in serving, giving, going, and that relates to and translates into growing. Oh, I was like, what the heck? I looked down there, I'm like, I am standing in a neighborhood somewhere. Sorry, I'm just, that was, that was new to me. I just, it really threw me for something. Like, is that really behind me? Okay, where are we? All right, good, I like that. Okay, sorry. Uh, look, I was up till 2.15 last night, so I don't know what's going to happen today. Let's read, and it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I want us to see our role in this as those who are committed to the name of Jesus Christ, as those who claim to be believers, who are committed to his church, because you can't be committed to the name of Jesus and be a Christian without being committed to his church. They go hand in hand. And to the giving of our time and our talents and our treasure for the sake of, and why do we do all of this? Why do we give? Why do we give above and beyond? Why do we give sacrificially? Why do we go? Why do we do all of this? For the sake of reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned a moment ago, one problem I've seen over the years is because the Great Commission is so great. And what I mean by that is it's so large and it seems so uh, big and outside of my ability to grasp in my mind that when we hear nations and we hear reach the world reading that, we often consider it to be for somebody else other than me. Reaching nations or reaching the world is, is so lofty or incomprehensible. I can't wrap my mind around it that I have to move on without actively seeing how God has called me to participate. And when we do that, when we kind of move on from the Great Commission and we think that we're just a church that is called to gather on one day of the week as the gathered church and we think that's all that there is, we miss out on what it means to be a Christian and a primary missional mandate given to every believer to be able to tell the story of the gospel, to start a conversation, to, to ask questions, to listen intently to the answers, and then tell the story of what Jesus did for you. We'll use this acronym maybe again. That's SALT. Start a conversation. Ask a question. Listen. Tell the story. 
I want you to notice something very important when it comes to our relationship with God as we unpack this scripture this morning. Notice that before telling us to do anything for him in verse 19, he tells us what he can do for us in verse 18. I want you to know that God never tells you to do something for him until he's already informed you and you believe what he has already done for you. He's not going to tell you to go do something for him without telling you how much he's empowered you first, what he has done for you through his son Jesus Christ in order to be able to do that. And he says this, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. Authority, he's going to give that to those who go means the right and the power to do something. And we have to realize we can do nothing for God unless he first does something for us. Amen? It's not that I'm going to go do this in my own strength. Jesus means that he has the absolute right and all power to do as he pleases in heaven and on earth. He is no longer a man of sorrows as Isaiah prophesied that he would be, but he now sits at the right hand of God the Father with all authority. And because of that, he is giving that authority to us to fulfill his commission in the earth. So what has he done? He has given us authority. And now he says, here's what I've given you. Now here's what you can do for my name. This is so important because without this authority being given to us, it is absolutely crazy to think that we could go and do what he's commissioned us to do. It makes absolutely no sense that we would think that we could go tell somebody And even as we were out on the campus this week and and talking to people this week, it seems outside of that, it's absolutely crazy that I could tell somebody to change their whole life, how they think, how they act, what they do, and become a Christ follower. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did when he said, stop what you're doing, what you've done your whole life, and come and follow me. And yet we have been given the authority to do the same. Stop what you're doing. I'm not necessarily talking about their their vocation or whatever, but stop what you're doing. Stop how you're living right now and follow me as I follow Christ. Because the reality is the response is, well, who do you think you are to tell me to follow you or to stop what I'm doing? Who do you think you are? There's only one thing that can justify that kind of exclusive, ridiculous mission to the world, and it's the fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrected king and has absolute authority over natural and supernatural forces so that every human, every angelic being will give an account, as Scripture says, to him. That's the only thing that gives us that authority and power. And since Jesus has that kind of authority, Christians not only have the right, but are bound by love to purposefully, intentionally, urgently tell other people to repent, to change, to become disciples of Jesus Christ as well. As disciples, here's the reality, all disciples are called to make others what we are, and that's disciples of Jesus Christ. All disciples are called to ask and call others to become what we are, and that is disciples of Jesus Christ. Is it just me? Is it super quiet in here this morning? Are y'all alive? Did Jesus save anybody in here this morning? Okay, I don't know. I was like, I've been in the islands, and it's a little bit more lively there than it is here this morning. Um, But I just want to check. All right, just want to make sure it wasn't just me. That's what therefore, in the Scripture is therefore. Go ye therefore, that you think of the King James Version, but therefore... 
What? Because you've been given all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's there to let us know what? That the supreme authority Jesus has affects us right now. So the supreme command is what we just said. Disciples making disciples. Helping others learn and teaching them what we are learning and being taught. Loving and forgiving as we have been loved and forgiven. But the primary way we do this is verse 19. We go. We gather and we go. We gather and we go. And this has been happening since Acts 2. We gather and we go. Now check this out. In the context, this Greek participle is best rendered when you have gone. Therefore, when you have gone. Did you notice that that, that kind of changes things for us? It's not like a suggestion. It, it, it's not, there's an implication here that this is a given. Like, okay, when you've gone, it's like what you tell your, when, once you've cleaned your room, then you can come down and do this. It's a given. You're not going to do this until that's happened. So he's not just saying, just go. He's saying, when you have gone. Now, not if you go, but when you go. Going means more than traveling to distant nations and across borders, although that, I believe, is an integral part of it. It's an integral part of Jesus' meaning. The point, though, is that we as believers are active. We're not passive. Going means crossing any and all kinds of boundaries to make disciples. It could be, yes, going across the street. It could be going to dinner with an unbelieving friend. It could be going into the suburbs, into the rural areas, into the inner city, going beyond your comfort zone to make disciples and to make the gospel accessible to anyone and everyone who needs to hear the good news of what Jesus has done. Making disciples is an anywhere and everywhere partnership with God who has given us the authority to do so. He's put that authority upon us. So as we, the church, this is who we are. As the church, Jesus requires we not be of the world. We know that to be true. We're not to be of the world, but he demands that we fully engage in the world. I'm not of it, but I'm to fully engage in it. And as I do, God will begin to do things in the lives of people if we will just be faithful to what his word asks of us. Going implies that we go. It also implies that we support people that go. We could do that too. That We've always said this. When you support a missionary or you support a mission trip or you support an organization, you're a part of the going. But listen to me. I am telling you, you are not just meant to send your money. It's me and my money. Send me. And to the day or the point that I can go no longer, then send everything that I've got. So yes, financial generosity to those who are missionaries in one way is how we go. We support the efforts to, to support them. We support the efforts to equip indigenous ministers in different cultures. We help equip them to lead people to their own, uh, in their own culture, to Jesus Christ, and in their own language. This enables them to fulfill the Great Commission in a way that we never could. Next comes the whom. Who's the target audience? This, again, is where we don't get to dictate to God who the target audience is. I don't dictate to God where I want to go. I mean, I can, but the reality is, is like, I want to be, as my wife said a few weeks ago, it's different just to say, here I am, or here am I, send me. Like, whatever. Where do you want me to go? And it is an anyone, anytime, anywhere type of God that we serve. 
So Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, every ethnic group, ethnos, if you will, which means there's not one person, not a single culture, not a single ethnic group, not a society or a religion or a language where Jesus does not have the right that he earned on the cross to be worshiped as the Lord and the King over all. There's not one place that he doesn't have the right to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Where the best thing for any person or people group is to know and to be known by Jesus and his church. That we would call people not just to be known by God, but to be a part of a people of God. The church started out looking this way, as I said in Acts and it should still look like this today. The church reflected the ministry of Jesus to the marginalized, to the outcast, to the downcast, to the prisoners, to the tax collectors, or you could, if you want to modernize it, to those in the IRS. So, you know, think about the people, oh, I don't want you touching my money. All the people that you could think of that you don't like or that you put in some sort of monolithic category because of how they look or what they do or where they came from, those are the type of people that God has come to minister to with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, adulterers who would, anybody who would do something outside of the context of God's word or, or the religious who would challenge these ideas of who is able to worship God. He said, no, I want you to reach all of them. The new people of God would be anyone, anywhere, every nation, every tongue, the unlearned, the weak, the poor, it did not matter, the lost. There was not going to be a north side part of town church for the Jews and a south side part of town church for the Gentiles. There was going to be all over the town kind of church under the name of Jesus where people that were normally hating each other were gathered together to worship Jesus and to declare his praises and to be a testimony to the world around them that God brings people back to God and back to one another. Yeah, you can applaud that this morning. Don't just show me you're awake, show God you're awake. This was not going to be something that had been seen ever before. This was totally new. That now we weren't enemies, but we were loving each other as brothers and sisters. The church is just like Ephesians describes it in chapter 4, verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One Here's the call, gathered to go. We are to go from everywhere the church is to everywhere the church isn't. I'll say that again because this is the, this is the mandate we've been given since Paul was beginning to church plants, church, plant churches all over uh, the Middle East and Europe. We are to go from wherever the church is Here's the church gathered here in Evans, Georgia, to wherever the church isn't. Now, that doesn't mean we can go to all the places, but we're going to do for some what we wish we could do for all by fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, before I read the last part of this passage, I just want to divert to a couple of little short stories real quickly to encourage and exhort you in Focus Church how we can practically fulfill this assignment we've been given by Jesus himself. I'll give you three words real quickly. To receive and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that the disciples received to be able to make disciples. And let me make this clear as well. This is not a work of human ingenuity or marketing or strength. It is a power and work of the Holy Spirit inside the people of God. That's why Acts says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the power of the Holy Spirit within you that empowers you to do anything that God has called you to do. 
So we receive that power from the Holy Spirit, and here's some practicalities of this power. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to be persistent. We don't give up. We don't quit. We don't stop knocking. We don't stop going. There's a story found in the Gospels, and, and you've heard this story probably if you've been to church here at any amount of time. Different people have taught it in different settings, but there's a story about four friends who hear about Jesus coming into town and that he was healing people. And one of the friends was paralyzed, so they decided to put him on a stretcher and take him to Jesus. And there's so much in the story that I don't have time to go into, but I just want to encourage you to be persistent in taking people to Jesus. To encourage you, because sometimes we just say, well, that's, just, that's a lost cause, and, and I'm never going to get this to happen. No, you're never going to get it to happen, but if you'll be persistent, God is the one who will make it happen. Mark chapter 2 says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they just gave up and went home. That'd be a crappy story, wouldn't it? But that's how we approach life so many times. No, it says, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus healing the man first by forgiving his sins illustrates that forgiveness is the greatest and deepest need that we all have, no matter what's going on in our physical or emotional part of our bodies. The greatest need that we all have is that our sins would be forgiven, and Jesus did that first. But I want to mention how persistent these friends were to not give up. It was as if they said, nothing is going to keep us from getting our friend, this person. And I don't necessarily know if they were close friends or not. We don't really know. They, maybe they just knew of this man and they, he wanted, he said, could you please get me there? Here's the reality. They didn't give up until they got him to Jesus. I mean, it wasn't safe what they did. It wasn't conventional what they did. It wasn't a normal model to get people into a house. It wasn't passive, I tell you that. It was active. It took effort, and it took persistence. We can't get in. Well, now what? Like I said, you, they didn't go, well, let's just go home. Sorry, man, we tried. We're, and leave them there. What you need to do is you need to make sure that you've got friends that want to help you see Jesus face to face. And you need to be the kind of friend that wants to help others who have not to see Jesus face to face. How persistent are you with those that God has put you around? Do not grow weary in doing well. For in due time you will reap a harvest, Galatians says. And I even like the concept of doing so as a team. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. There's four people here, if you will, helping to get this man into the face of Jesus, if you will. And without setting up a doctrine about numbers, which I'm not trying to do, all I'm saying is have friends around you that care about the friends and the people around you. Have friends around you that care about the lost people around you like you care about them. Have people around you that are willing to help you help others. True disciples help each other get people into the presence of Jesus. And I mean, what else do we really have to offer but to know and to be known in the presence of God so we as the church, brothers and sisters, together help each other help other people to get into the face of Jesus Christ, to be healed internally, externally. Next word is party. You want to be persistent? You want to party? You want to party like it's 8033, not 1999. <laughs> so second story, real quick, Matthew 9. Jesus had called Matthew, who was a tax collector. Everybody hated them. Everybody, even the Jews hated them because they were taking money from them and giving it to the Romans or whatever the case may be. It was, it was just a hated individual. But he called him to be his disciple, 
a good thing Jesus sees people differently than we do in making disciples. And Matthew decides to throw a party, really, for the only friends that he had at that time, and those were just his good sinner friends. But here's what he did differently. He invited all of his new friends who wanted to help others like he wanted to help others, and he put them all together in one big party. So he invites his Jesus friends to get together with his sinner friends, and all of them together begin to have a party. And the religious leaders get mad. and They're like, "What are you, you can't do that. Y'all can't hang out together. You can't have a party like that. You can't mix peanut butter and jelly. You just can't. And Jesus, it says, when he heard this, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. You got that down, obviously. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, those who know they are sinners. Jesus takes our prejudices. He takes our excuses. He takes all of the exclusions, all the things that we do with people and putting them into this homogenous, monolithic people group, and all the things that we say, all our protest, all of our apathy, all our passivity, all of our religiosity, all the things that we default to normally, and he breaks all of humanity down into two categories because we've already know Genesis says there's one category. We're all made in the image of God. And now Jesus breaks them into two categories. He says there are those people who think they are righteous and there are the people who know they are sinners. He clearly lets all of us know that there are only two types of people in this world when it comes to making disciples of all nations. Those that act like they don't need Jesus and those that know they are doomed without Jesus. Those that think they've got all the answers and those that know they don't have not one single answer. But Jesus is that answer. You know why this is so important for us as the church? So we reach whomever God has called us to reach. We don't label people as a lost cause or, or too far gone or even, well, they're probably fine. They seem like good people. No, we find our circles of influence or we ask God to say, here I am, where do you want me to go? And we say, Father, I am here for you. Maybe we throw a Matthew party, but we're persistent and we ask Jesus to God to do what only they can do by drawing people to himself. Which leads me to the last thing is we pray. We pray to be used by God for his glory and for the eternal good of those who don't know him yet. We pray for discernment. We pray for boldness. We pray for, for softening of hearts and the opening of eyes and the opening of ears to see the light of Christ that is within us. To hear the good news of the gospel. We pray for those that you are persisting with. We pray for those that you might put together with a friend that you know loves Jesus and, and this other one that doesn't and you, and you throw them together and you see what God might do. They might see Jesus face to face to see the lover of their soul. Maybe we make that declaration of prayer to God and we're basically just saying whomever, wherever, whenever, forever. I've said this before and I'll say it again. This is really the call. Wherever, God. Whomever, wherever, whenever, forever. You want me to go to St. Thomas? Okay. You want me to go to Cuba? Okay. You want me to go to Latvia? Okay. You want me to go to Mexico? Okay. You want me to go to Memphis? Okay. Wherever you want me to go. And I was thinking about it today. All the places that I've had an opportunity to go, the privilege to go because of God saying, here you are. Here's the people I want you to meet. Here's the people I want you to go. You want to go to South Africa? No, I never thought about that. Well, you're going to go. You want to go across the street? No. You want to go hang out with him? No. 
They don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'll do it when the door opens. I'll knock until the door opens. That's what Jesus is calling us to do for what he's done for us. I'll do it when they're more receptive. I'll do it even if I'm rejected. I'll pray that they see how much God loves them. I'll make sure that I show them myself how much God loves them. You see the difference of the gathered church that just gathers and the gathered church that's willing to go. This is the heart of Jesus and the heart of the followers of Jesus Christ. That would be us, his disciples, the church that have been commissioned to take the message to every nation, tribe, and tongue. To pray that God would help you see people as he sees them. To pray that God would help you see the lostness of the people around you and to care. To pray that the brokenness of the hurting is something that breaks your heart and you care. Found people, find people. Forgiven people, forgive people. People that have been extended mercy, extend mercy. People that have received grace, give grace. To whomever, wherever, whenever, forever. So that we can answer the call to be the body of Christ, the church. Not just to gather and to worship his name. But to go in his name so that others can worship his name. Oh, wow, that's so powerful. That's what we've been called to do, church. To live out the great commission that we've been given. And to not do so is to not be who God has called you to be. It may look different for all of us, but there's some similarities for all of us. And honestly, we all go together wherever we go because we're we. And I'll go back to the last part of the commission in Matthew 28. And it says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here's the promise of all promises. He's with you. You're never alone. Let's not roll through that without grasping the magnitude of who is with you always. It's, it's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, Scripture says. That's the one who's with you. This Jesus with all authority over every enemy, every disease, every calamity, promises to be with you always to the end of the age. As long as the world is here and last, Jesus will be with us in this world, helping us to do what he has commissioned us to do. The one who has put all his enemies under his feet and has died for us and has risen for us and has triumphed over sin and hell and death and the grave, over guilt, over condemnation, over suffering, over shame, all of that. Who's triumphed over Satan himself, who has all authority in heaven on earth. This is the one who is with us, who comforts us by promising he will be with us continually to the end of the age. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. We have been saved to gather in his name and to go in his name. This is who we are in Focus Church. Not just saved to get a ticket to ride. I'm on the way to heaven. You are saved to gather in his name for as long as you're here. To worship him because he's worthy of that worship. And then like, just like we just are about to see in a moment, that that fire that is burning inside of me, that little fire, will join with others until the flame of God is burning all over the world for the glory of his name. And one day that's exactly what's going to happen. 
Don't overlook the opportunities that God might give you. I'm not saying that some grand massive thing that you're like, well, I got to get on this and I got to do it. No, no, no. You don't know. Just whomever, wherever, whenever, forever. Just go out of here, God. You, you've, you've commissioned me. I'll close with this story and then we're going to sing. Because every little fire represented in here or watching online, I want you to understand that when we come together and we gather, it burns bright. And then we kind of go out there and it feels like, oh, just one little ember out here by myself. And yet Jesus is with you to the end of the age. You burn as brightly out there serving him as we do in here. It's just different. And then somebody notices or you discern and you hear what God's saying and you obey. You step out in faith. You take a chance because the reality is until you step out of the boat, right, as we, Peter showed us, you're not going to do what God's called you to do. It's going to take a little bit of trust in God. Here's the story. So Robert and I had a, we left 8 a.m. from San, uh, from St. Thomas yesterday morning. Drove to the airport, got on the airport, flew from St. Thomas to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Sat in San Juan, Puerto Rico, got delayed. That's why we got in so late. Flew into Orlando. Then we drove from Orlando back here. So that's why we didn't get home till after 2 a.m. But here's the interesting thing. After all the delays, and, and man, I, there's, there's, there's not a lot of people that I would prefer to have with me doing something like this than, than Robert. We've been doing this a long time together, but this was just a privilege for he and I to do this together. And also with Carla and Josiah, and they're coming back tonight, but, and the rest of this team. But here's we're riding back, and we have to, I get a phone or a text basically saying, we can't pick you up at the airport. Could you get an Uber over to the church, which is where his car was, and we'll meet you there with the keys. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. I mean, just things. Like, you know, I could get all irritated. Oh, I got to get an Uber. Okay. So I get this Uber, and I'm looking, and I see this guy, and I see his name, and he's from Brazil, and okay. My wife had prayed before we left that we would have opportunities to talk to whomever, wherever, whenever on the way home. So, I mean, I could have gotten in this car. It's like nice big car, sitting there, gone to sleep. I mean, we were tired. We were like, let's rest for 30 minutes before we have to drive for six and a half hours. And yet, I looked at this guy, and I started talking, started a conversation, asked him questions about how he got here. He's from Brazil. He's been here two and a half years. Was he married? Did he have kids? Listened. I heard his whole story. And as I'm driving, I'm sitting here in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Brent, you need to engage this. And I'm going to, I'm meeting somebody at the church. The person I'm meeting at the church, his name is Mario. He's from Puerto Rico, speaks Spanish just like uh, Chiago does. That's his name. His wife's name is Beatrice. I'm asking all these questions. He has a 12-year-old child and a 10-year-old child. What do you do? What do you do? He tells me all these things. What does she do? How did you get here? She works with kids with autism. She has a master's degree. They wanted her. They called her here. That's how we got on and on and on. And then I'm like, well, the guy that I'm meeting is at his church. I said, well, do you have a church? Yes, we have a church. And I tell him what I do. He's like, oh, I like Jesus. I like Jesus. That's why I have my kids in church. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I want to introduce you to this pastor who speaks Spanish when we get to this church. And I'm texting Mario. I said, be there when I get there. I want to introduce you to this guy. We get out of the car, we're about to leave, and I said, listen, Tiago, would you mind if I just prayed for you? You said something about your kids and how you really want them to grow up and be safe, and, and, and uh, you're taking them to church, but can I pray for you as a parent, as a father? Sure. Uh, do you mind if I put my hand on you and pray for you? Sure. 
So me and Mario and Robert, we put our hands on Tiago, who's middle of the night out here in the parking lot. He's about to go home because he only lives 15 minutes from the church. In Orlando, that's, that's close, real close. We pray for him, and then God just begins to minister to him and begin to tell him that I, I, God wanted to know that he was proud, that he worked hard, and that, that he was seen. And by the time we were done, he's like, what time do y'all meet? And Mario goes, one o'clock. The Spanish congregation meets at one o'clock. He's like, I'll be here. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to follow up. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's the reality. We have to be willing to answer the call to go even in the most simplest of ways. And if we will trust God, he will open up doors that you didn't even know were there. So you start the conversation, you ask some questions, you listen to what they say. Oh, man, he was so excited to be in this country and just have a better way of life. And then you tell them the story of what Jesus has done for them and how much God loves them. And see what God will do. Amen. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.